Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Episode 1. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, I'm welcoming Bethany Kazmarek to the inaugural episode of The Restory Show. She tells an amazing story of anguish and bewilderment and ultimately amazing faith, even as her world fell apart around her. And I just truly pray that her words today would bring you a great amount of courage as well. So let's listen to her story. Today, I'm here with Bethany Kazmarek, and we are going to talk about her story. And she, like me, was a missionary in Europe, although she was in Eastern Europe. And um, we sat together at an ACFW event, and which stands for American Christian Fiction Writers. And she told me this crazy, amazing story, and I knew that it was going to be the one that I wanted to start with on this podcast because I just love the story. And so it's not an easy story, but it's an amazing story. So Bethany, thanks for coming today. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about, take us back to the time where you were missionaries in Eastern Europe. I believe, was it Poland? We were in Poland at the time, yeah. We were three years in Poland and three years in Lithuania. But this was right after we had moved back to Poland. Awesome. So what were you doing there? And tell me about who was in your family at that time. We were studying the language and um, hosting home Bible studies. It was my husband and I, and then we had two children. We had a six-year-old and a three-year-old at that time. And I was pregnant, very largely pregnant. Mm -hmm. We were waiting any day. Um, And it was so cold there that um, we had to bring the car battery in to the house every night to make sure that it didn't freeze in case I went so we'd be able to start the car and get to the hospital. Burr. As one who hates to be cold, that just makes me shiver. <laughs> <laughs> so you were nearly, nearly bursting. And um, what kind of thoughts were going through your head as you were about ready to deliver in another country? I mean, had you delivered in other countries before? Well, my other two births had both been in America, one before uh-huh. we left for the mission field and one on a quick stateside assignment. So I had actually hired a tutor and I was studying all of the language that I would need specifically for giving birth, all of the medical terms, all of the things that they could possibly say to me, um, which meant that I was learning some dicey terms too. And I was already, you know, considering those things a little bit anxious and they're not big on pain management at all. So, um, and then also the bedside manner is a little different. So it was a little bit high stress going into it. And I was getting closer and closer to the date our mothers arrived. It was Rob's mom's first time to ever leave America. Mm. Came every year to visit, but they both wanted to be there to help with children. And they had already 
been there and we were counting the days and it mm. began to wear on. And I, I said to the, I was at 40, 40 and a half weeks. And I said to the doctor, what happens if I don't go into labor? I know you don't induce over here. Um, what happens if I don't do that? And, and our mothers leave. Mm. I had one Polish family who was uh, willing to help to, to take time off. To help. They finally decided to induce at 41 weeks. And it was a very slow going process. I was feeling very anxious about it. Yes. And so then you had your son and uh, how big was he and how was he doing in the hospital? Well, um, he was almost 10 pounds, Um, (laughs) two and a half kilograms, but he was doing really well. He was big and beautiful and healthy and amazing. He was thriving right from the beginning. They give an immunization there. The day that they're born against tuberculosis, it's called the BCG, and it doesn't actually uh, immunize against tuberculosis, but it it makes the body able to kind of capture it and host it, I think. I think most people in in Central Europe are are carriers of tuberculosis, and so had I known they were going to give him that, I believe I would have asked them not to, but they did. They came and got him while I was asleep, Mm. and um, so he had the immunization. I didn't realize that at first. And it was one of the things I, I missed a little bit in translation, but I saw in his medical records as I looked over them when we got home. Right. So if he had been born in the States, he would have had a different vaccination or no vaccination at all? None for that. Okay. He would have had different vaccinations, which would have been totally okay. I was I was doing all the normal vaccinations. Right. Okay. This particular one, because of what it did, I just thought, huh. But in the United States, tuberculosis is eradicated, essentially. So we yes. don't have to deal with that here. Basically. Okay. So he got this immunization that was kind of a quasi immunization, not a full, like it can't protect completely. And so then when did things start? Did you start noticing things were different about it? What is his name, by the way? His name is Aiden. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. Cause yeah. I have an Aiden too. So uh, when did you start noticing things were going awry with Aiden? About two weeks. He was two weeks old and he began breaking out with a rash around his mouth. And it was I I wondered if he was allergic to my milk or something. So I was trying to to watch out for that. And we asked his pediatrician about it and and they gave us some cream to put on it and didn't seem to help much. Mm. Quickly began to get worse to spread, not just around his mouth, but up over his face and down his torso. And they said, try another cream. And then they began not only to spread, but to look worse. They deepened and they yellowed and, Mm. and filled with infection and... They said to try another cream, and I said, no, I would rather go to a dermatologist who knows what they're doing specifically in this field and see what's going on. So we found one, an award-winning dermatologist. She'd been practicing for over 40 years, and she spoke some English and was very helpful. And she asked for my records, everything that I'd been writing down about what had been happening with him, and she was puzzled by it. And she Mm. said, I just want to take some time and and think over it and look through my books and I'll, I'll get back to you. Hmm. And so we were surprised by that, a little, a little unnerved by it, but yeah. trusting that she'd get back to us with some good information. But in the waiting period there, there was a, about two or three days before we heard from her. He began changing color a little bit, getting mm. a little bit ashy uh, looking, and we were very concerned about it. So she called us and we were already considering doing something more, taking him to the hospital or 
But you understand over there, it was socialized medicine and you couldn't just take him to the hospital. Right. Just say he needs to be treated that it didn't work like that. So we weren't being irresponsible by waiting. Our hands were a little bit tied, but we took him to her and she said, I have poured over all of my books. She said in 40 years, I've never seen anything Mm. like this and I don't know what it is. And I feel like you really need to get him to the hospital in Warsaw, not in the city where we were, but in the capital city where they have better medical care. And at this point, I was unwilling to do things bilingually. Mm -hmm. I I had been understanding everything, but we were getting to the point where I needed to know every word that was being said about my son and what was going on. So we went to, we called our mission board and said, we need to get treatment for him now. And we would like to go to the American clinic in Budapest. And they said that would be fine. But Rob and the other kids need to stay and continue the ministry. So just you can go. You take oh, a gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ouch. So, so I packed him up and said goodbye to everybody. And we, Aiden and I boarded a plane and I kept trying to keep his face covered because I was afraid people on the plane would be terrified of him. And I didn't know what he had. I didn't know whether it was infectious. I know, Mm. I knew none of our other kids were acting strangely at all, showing none of these symptoms. Um, So we felt sure that it was something that was happening just to him, but we didn't know what it was. So I kept his face very covered so people wouldn't feel anxious around him. and, And so that he was kind of guarded and we arrived in Budapest and again, socialized medicine there. They set up a schedule for us of the treatments, the tests that they would run. And it was a a schedule that lasted a month. And I was beginning to really, Mm. uh, really get antsy that he wasn't going to last the month because his color was getting worse. And at this point he did fine on the flight over, but when we arrived, he began, he just didn't like me to touch him. He didn't, Nothing that I could do would comfort him. And it seemed that he was just in constant, constant pain. And there was nothing I could do to soothe him. And you were not a brand new mom. Like this was your third rodeo. So you knew something was terribly wrong, especially him not wanting to touch you. How old was he at this time? Four weeks. Four weeks. So he's one month old and you're uh, in a strange city. Did you have a place to stay? Were you in a hotel or how did that work? We were in a big apartment house for missionaries. So okay. it was a big house and it had it had maybe eight apartments in it so that other missionaries from other parts of Europe, if they had bigger medical issues and needed to do things in English, could come and, and take I care see. of those. So I was staying there and they run a kind of taxi service back and forth to the doctors when we need to go. But nobody was as nervous as I was, mm. you know, and I, I was his mom. So that's understandable. But everybody was kind of just saying, well, we've got the schedule. There's nothing we can do. So let's just wait. And I just watched him worsen and worsen and worsen. He couldn't handle um, loud noises. There were two other sweet missionary moms who were there getting ready to give birth. And they were real nervous, obviously, and understandably about Mm -hmm. being around him. They wanted us kept separate because they didn't know what he had. And I didn't have any answers for them. So it was a really lonely time and really, really frightening. Did you, how did you, I'm usually when I'm in those kind of situations, my prayers are more like help. (laughs) They're not like sophisticated prayers. How were you feeling God's comfort in that very traumatic situation? Well, I wasn't feeling it a lot. I was just crying out help and I didn't, I just felt like it kept getting worse and I wasn't getting help. So I felt a little bit abandoned. Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed some answers and that 
I wasn't getting any. And the one who had the answers was being silent. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a very dark and terrible place to be. I think a lot of us have been through not necessarily your situation, but those times where God just seems quiet and it's like deathly quiet and you don't understand what in the heck, (laughs) you know, why is this happening? So here you are, you're alone, your husband and your other two children are far away and you're starting to have kind of this mama panic of something is more wrong than these people are finding. And so did you, what was kind of the next thing that happened? A missionary friend that I hadn't seen in several years came into town to have a physical done. And she said, well, let's go and do something to get you out of the house and to get you feeling just distracted when you distract you. So we went out and we're walking around and Aiden began, um, he wasn't thrashing in my body, in my arms. He was, uh, but he was, he was arching his back with such strength that it was hurting my arms. Mm. And I, we were out and I didn't know what I could, where I could put him or what I could do. So I just continued holding him. And by the time we got home a few hours later, or back to the apartment, um, my arm was bruised. Mm. I felt like it, it was probably a seizure that was going on, but it was lasting long. He was still alert though during things. Mm-hmm. So, so I wasn't sure what was going on and I didn't have the medical training. And I, my friend spoke up for me and, and called the people who do the, the taxiing back and forth and said, she just needs to get this child somewhere right now. What can we do? What? Can, where can we take him? Even if we look like crazy Americans who are coming in and demanding that someone sees sure. the child, what are we going to do? And so she took us to the children's hospital in Budapest and to see the neurologist in case it was a, a seizure or something. And we got there and they said, oh, he's not in the office today. Um, <sighs> this is, And so we were just standing there and thinking, what do we do? And then he walked past mm. and they said, oh, he's not supposed to be here today. And she stopped him and said, this is an American and her child, this is happening. And are you free? Are you available? And he said, I am. Mm. And he just welcomed us into his office and, and talked with us. And he agreed that it could be a seizure and wanted to run some tests on those things. But basically he said, it just is clear that your child is very, very, very sick. And his system is shutting down a little bit, but we don't have a place to put him right now. I can get him in here as as soon as possible. So he scheduled the testing and he scheduled for those things, but it was still a week out. So I had to, I had to take him back that night. Oh, of all nights that night. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you still have no diagnosis. So you're just in the dark. Right. And my friend left, my Mm. friend had to leave. So it was wonderful that she was there for that moment for, to get me in there. Mm -hmm. But I felt when she left, I felt completely, completely abandoned. Yeah. For the listeners today of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. Now, my suggestion is you try Thin Places, a memoir by myself, and I'm actually reading that one. And if you like a good story with a happy ending, but some trials along the way, that will be a great one to start with. You can download this or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for your absolutely free audiobook. And so he, you and him were together and you didn't know what was going on 
so you spent the night there and then what was well i tried to uh i thought you know i tried to write a prayer letter just asking our prayer supporters um for help and and um the internet was down um, i didn't have contact with anybody but he just continued to get worse and i heard some worship going on downstairs some singing and i tried to take him down there just I thought maybe he'd like the music, maybe that would soothe him, but it it made things worse. Mm. So I just went back up to the room and I prayed and I asked the Lord, what what do I do from here? What do Mm. I do right now in this moment? And an email address came to my mind Mm. of a a man that um, I had seen at a meeting about four or five months earlier. And he had been talking about prayer networking and how when missionaries are in their darkest moments, they don't need to be thinking about having to write a prayer letter and, and report on all these things. They just need to be able to shoot out an emergency. We're in crisis. Please pray. Right. And I, it made me angry <laughs> that I got that because the internet was down. What was I going to do with that email address? But it just kept pressing on me. So I called a taxi and I wrapped Aiden up in just two or three blankets so that he was cushioned against me and didn't feel my arms pressing into him. And I, we got in the taxi and went down to the mall where there was an internet cafe. And I walked into the internet cafe and I paid for long enough to sit down and send a one-liner. I just said, I feel like my son is dying and I'm alone and please, please pray. I don't know what's happening. And that's all. And then on the, on the way, I called Rob and I told him that I felt like um, he needed to take some vacation days and he needed to come and say goodbye. Mm-hmm. They need to bring the kids to say goodbye. Mm. I can't, I can't imagine, you know, what that phone call would have been like. And especially for him as well. Like, did he realize it was that bad until that call or, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've been talking to him all along, but yeah, I had been keeping him posted and, and he, he saw that my frustration and my concern was growing, but I don't think that he realized it was getting that bad, but it happened so fast. It was just kind of all in that one day right. seizure, like things started. And then he just really began uh, just that day. And that night seemed like we were turning a, a, cor- a corner that we couldn't come back from. Right. And so how did you, how did you cope with that? Or what did you do next? Well, I sat Aiden down in, in his pile of blankets um, because he didn't, he didn't want to be touched. Yeah. And I, um, I screamed a little while mm-hmm. in my pillow and I, mm-hmm. and I cried and I, um, I wondered where God was. Yeah. And, um, and then I remembered reading a book by Linda Dillow, Calm My Anxious Heart. And in it, it said, God's word is truer than any circumstance that you'll ever face in any emotion that you'll ever feel. And um, it was just a real moment of crisis for my faith where I had to figure out, do I really believe? Like, do I believe when things feel impossible? Do I have that kind of faith or am I just an easy believer? So I picked up my Bible and began looking through it and just turning to all the passages about, I'm here, I will not Mm -hmm. forsake you, I will not leave you. And so then I just began talking with God about the fact that I was choosing to believe that whether I felt him with me or not, Mm -hmm. I knew that he was, not because of anything I felt, but because of who he is. 
Right. And whether I, whether I felt like any of this was true or not, I was going to continue to choose to believe in this moment. And I knelt, um, I knelt in front of Aiden and I just put my hands around his head and his feet. And I imagined myself laying him at the foot Mm. of the cross. And I just said, Lord, I have to trust you with him. And I know that as impossible as it feels, you love him more than I do. Mm-hmm. But I'm just asking that whatever you do, you give me the grace to handle it, to come through this with continued faith in you, mm-hmm. with continued trust that this doesn't, that I just make it through this with grace. Right. With the very end of yourself, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then all I had left was, well, nothing. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just laid down and curled around Aiden and, and went to sleep. And then the next morning, how was he doing? The next morning, I woke up and his color was back and... I started talking to him and he smiled at me Mm. and reached for me. So I picked him up and very carefully, very gently picked him up, still with blankets around him. But he, it didn't seem to bother him. He seemed happy. Mm. He was smiling and cooing and moving around like his body didn't hurt anymore. Mm. And so then you had kind of the adventure of figuring out what was this all. And so how did you finally reach after that amazing, miraculous night? How did you figure out or who figured out the diagnosis for him? Um, It was almost a year, a full year later. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that. Wow. Um, Wow. So I, I I continued with not many answers. We went, Rob arrived and my parents also arrived. He had called them and everyone was coming to say goodbye to Aiden. And, mm. and I said, I don't, I don't think we have to. I don't know what happened, but mm. I think he's okay. We went ahead and did all the testing and they did a, a biopsy on some of his lesions. And it was so odd that the World Health Organization wanted samples. They wanted all the records and everything just to have record of what strange thing happened with this child. Um, but we took medical leave after that, even though he was doing better, mm-hmm. and went back to the states for some time to decompress yeah. and <laughs> heal and be in English and mm-hmm. just to continue with the follow up. And we saw a, a specialist, a pediatrician in infectious diseases, and he was looking over all the records. And he said, "I have no idea. I just mm-hmm. I also need to take some time and look over some things." And um, so we. We waited and we prayed and it it was so strange. We were talking about, you know, I, I said to Rob when he had arrived in Budapest, is this a healing? Is he, is he okay? What I know, I knew when I prayed, I knew when I prayed that night before that, that God was able to heal him, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course I had been praying all along for his healing. But in that moment, I just felt like I needed to say, okay, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, I, I know that our God is able to do this, but even if you don't, that was the moment of acknowledging for me, oh, you're not going to. And if you don't, I need to be okay with that. I need to get to the point that I'm not hoping for 
a healing miracle, but instead I'm just asking for grace. And the lesions were still there. Hmm. He didn't get any new ones, but they didn't go away. But it just seemed like his system was like everything that had been progressively worsening stopped. Mm. And so we were just kind of trying to figure out at that point what had happened almost. And he began acting normal again. So back in the States, we met with the doctor about four months after this whole process began. And he said, I honestly, I just have to give God the credit for this. He said, I don't know if you know that I'm a believer or not, but mm. I, I am. And I, I can think of no other way that this idea even came to me, except mm. that God put it on my heart and mind. He said, but I went back and looked things up. And he said, the last time I saw this was on my board exams 50 years ago. Oh, my gosh. He said, it doesn't happen except apparently to your son, but he said, I'm confident that this is what this is. He contracted bovine tuberculosis, the mycobacteria, infected him rather than immunizing him. But the bovine is not supposed to do that on little humans. Because he's um, not a little cow. He's not a little cow. <laughs> so anyway, he said, we still have to figure out why that was able to happen. We still need to do more testing. But he said, we this is the plan for now. We're going to treat it as if it's human tuberculosis in America. And we're going to give him these heavy medications. And so they did. And we spent um, six months more medicating him. Well, nine months more. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the year mark, we got some feedback from the NIH in, in Bethesda, Maryland. And they said, you know, he's missing something from his blood that basically makes him an ideal host for mycobacteria, bovine oh, wow. or, or human. And so um, that was a shocker. And, uh, you know, as we sat and we prayed with his doctor, he said, I, I feel like if, if you'll hear my recommendation that you should stay in America where we eradicate TB, where we, we hit it and we don't let people carry it because we're aggressive in our treatment compared to the rest of the world. He mm -hmm. said, if you went back to the mission field, basically anywhere else in the world, if you were exposed to aggressive TB, human TB, it could be fatal within days. Oh my gosh. Wow. So change of plans, <laughs> no more <Yeah>. missionary. <laughs> I mean, that's, that must've been difficult as well. Cause you had, you know, obviously your, obviously your first priority is Aiden. But there was also probably a dream attached to living overseas. And how did you work through that with your husband? <laughs> well, okay, that's 10 years ago and we're still working through yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just decided we're missionaries wherever we are. Yep. You know, there are hurting people everywhere. Yes. We need to be about that here. We don't have to go somewhere far away to tell people about the love of Christ and to show them the love of Christ. But we also have a unique ability to share our love for overseas ministry with others and inspire others to go. Mm -hmm. So we have a heart for missionaries wherever in the world they are. Yeah, it was very bittersweet. It was not how uh, we would have. Well, I don't think we would have come off the, the field. I think God was saying, no, no, I'm moving you to do this. You're not going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But we're able to look back on it and, and be uh, to be thankful for how God used it to direct us. Mm -hmm. When I look back on it personally, I have a, a strange thankfulness. As much as I hated those moments of isolation 
and abandonment. I'm thankful for those the most, I think. Because hmm. if Rob had been with me, I would have leaned into him. And I needed, I needed that crisis. I needed that moment to say, no matter what comes at me, I'm going to believe. I choose to believe. And it strengthened my relationship with Christ so much because I saw and I still see that his word is truer than anything I'll ever face. And I can count on that. I learned to, instead of judging what's happening, judging who God is and and what kind of God he is by all the things I'm dealing with, Mm -hmm. I learned to be able to look at my circumstances in light of who he is. Just that in the midst of all of that, there is a constant, there's a given that I can count on. That's awesome. And a really hard thing to learn (laughs) and uh, not a fun thing to learn either, especially when you feel like there's silence from heaven. Um, So I'm assuming that Aiden is doing well today. How old is he? He must be 10. He's he's almost 10. Okay. Yeah, he's doing great. He's doing wonderfully. And he's got such a sensitive heart. He's a zealot. He's our zealot. He's (laughs) uh, Whatever he does, he's all in. 100% intense. And he's amazing to watch. That's awesome. So when you, um, I know you don't share this story all the time, but if you were going to reach through the airwaves and reach out to other people who may be having those same feelings of abandonment because of their circumstances, what kind of advice or um, insight or wisdom can you offer? I just want to say that they're not alone. Even mm-hmm. in the midst of that, you're not alone. And one of the things, I think the thing that, that blessed me, that brought the most blessing to me and the most strength to me was going through the Bible and and just looking for anything about who God is, that He is our healer, He is our provider, He is our strength, He's the Lion of Judah, He is, uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Just looking for who He is and trusting those to be true. I met Him in a few of those ways that I had never met Him before. Mm -hmm. He showed Himself to me as, as a shepherd more than before as a loving father and just trusting in, in that, in the word and in, in his character and his nature, which is so much more real than, um, and so just not, not more real, but more eternal. It's constant right. compared to what we're facing. I forgot to ask you about this part of your story. We'll end with this. What did you learn about the power of prayer after you sent that email to your random friend <laughs> that you remembered oh. his email address? So, cause I remember that part yeah. of your story and we didn't touch on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so later that night, the night, you know, that he had woken up in the morning doing, doing well, the internet came back on in the apartment and and uh, my parents and my husband were there as as we signed on and to just to update him and let him know how things were going and there were over there were over 2000 mm. emails from all over the world wow that people wow. had been praying for Aiden's healing that night wow i think we forget you know i think we forget how um important prayer is and the power of 2000 people interceding and you know i it makes me remember when i wake up in the middle of the night because i'm an insomniac and sometimes i'll just wake up in the middle of the night and god will put someone on my mind and 
<clears throat> I'll just pray. I don't have no idea what it all means, but I'm so grateful that he is a God who answers prayer. And you not only got to know the character of God through this trial, but you got to see the arms and the feet and the spleen of the body of Christ, you know, everyone coming around and coming together. And that in and of itself must have been another reminder after that very lonely night that you weren't alone. Yeah. And that it's okay to ask for help. Right. It's, it's, people can't come around and pray for you and, and help you if, if they don't know, you know, there are times that the Lord will bring a name to our minds during the night or um, as we're going about our day. But when we are willing to be vulnerable enough to just cry out and say, Hey, I need some prayer. I need some help. People will come around. People want to, to pray and want to help. That's awesome. So what, looking back on this whole situation, how would you say that God restoried you? He gave you a new story. I mean, we can point to some things, but how would you say it? Hmm. I, uh, I think it would be the, the learning to be fully a missionary wherever in the mm. world I am. He moved me back to the States, but that wasn't an ending of, of my missionary story. It right. was just... It was just the beginning of, of something different. And I think we all can draw from that because I, I think there's this idea, you know, in the body of Christ that if you stay in your home country, you're not a missionary. Um, but you're right. There's a mindset there that everywhere we go, as you said, there are hurting people. And there are people that have stories like yours that need people to walk alongside them. And one of, one of the things that happened to me in France in coming back was this kind of heart for um, immigrants and I know you probably feel that too, this, because you relate so well to not having the language and to being in despair and trying to figure out a health scare in another country. And so, you know, part of that process of what you learned is, is yeah, you're a missionary here. I'm a missionary here, no matter where I live. And I think that's a great way to end this. I'm so grateful that God chose to heal him and keep him alive in this uh, non-tuberculosis country. So thankful we don't have tuberculosis here. And thank you so much, Bethany, for sharing your story. I'm just so grateful. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to ReStory. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, thank you for this amazing interview with Bethany and the story of her son and the things that you did and the way you intersected her life. And I pray that today you would intersect the lives of those listening to this podcast, that you would show us the importance of truly believing that you are good, truly believing that your word is true, laying down the things that are burdening us, laying down our rights, surrendering everything to you. And Lord, would you bring resurrection today? Would you do something that is unexpected. We give you permission today to be creative. We give you permission today to take our burdens and hold them on your shoulders. We're tired of carrying them. And for those in impossible situations, Lord, today I pray that you would be the God of the impossible. And even if you don't deliver out of every circumstance, that you would be there in the midst, that your presence would be thick and we would, oh God, that we would just lay it down. Lay down the burden, lay down the control, lay down anger, lay down bitterness, um, relinquish, get on our knees, and humbly and truly ask for your will in our lives. I do pray 
that um, for those of us walking through difficult stories, that we would be able to lift our eyes and have the perspective we need to know that you are going to restore us, not only just to restore us, to, but to give us a brand new story. So I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's shows with links and extended information, please go to RestoryShow.com 1 forward slash 1. And may you live a brand new story this week.